Also, turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. It's on page 981 if you're going to use the Bibles provided for you. Uh, Like you figured out already, today's Trinity Sunday, and I'm preaching from the Old Testament lectionary text. And uh, in the text that I'm about to read, if you listen really careful for an illusion of the Trinity, you will not hear one. (laughs) Because the Trinity really does not make an appearance in, you know, in 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 an expressive kind of way in this text. I think maybe the way it snuck in is because at the end of the text, God says, who will go for us in the plural? And I think maybe there is a stretch made to think, oh, that's the Trinitarian us. There's not a lot of scholars who read it that way. Anyway, so it's kind of a reach. But um, so why would this be a, a text for Trinity Sunday? Well, today is not only Trinity Sunday, as Sam also said, it is the first Sunday in ordinary time in the church calendar. Ordinary time, like Sam said, was a time for growth and a time for development where we see what the Holy Spirit does in us and through us and through the church in ordinary, kind of normal, mundane times. Um, So rather than thinking about this as a Trinity Sunday text, I would invite us to think of it as more of an ordinary time text, uh, as as a time for uh, getting ready for a season of growth. So, Isaiah chapter 6, we read the first eight verses. Listen to God's word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, Isaiah cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. The word of the Lord. A couple of days ago, Pastor Sam said to me very sarcastically, Wow, Stefan, what a great title for your sermon. So intriguing. The year King Uzziah died. Way to to draw people in. Fair enough. Very boring sermon title. But, in my own defense, I believe that these words, in the year King Uzziah died, are foundational to understanding this text. So Isaiah is telling us 
in the year King Uzziah died. It's about 739 B.C., long time ago. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. The date is very significant here. It's like if I were going to tell you a story and I said, I started the story by saying, on the morning of September 11, 2001. You know where this is going, right? You know what I'm I'm probably going to start talking about. Suddenly there's a context. Uh, Just by giving you the date, you already know the direction I'm going to go. Well, it's the same thing in Isaiah chapter 6. It's not just in 739 B.C., it's in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So to understand the context of Isaiah seeing the Lord high and exalted, we need to know who is this King Uzziah and what does it mean that he died? King Uzziah was the king of Judah. He was the descendant of King David and King Solomon. And he was the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus, interestingly. Uzziah is a very minor character in Scripture. There's really only a couple of things said about him, only a couple of things that are noteworthy. Uh, One, he reigned for a long time, which provided some real stability, uh, some uncommon stability for the kingdom of Judah. And number two, he was a pretty good king. He did an okay job. And that's saying a lot. Uh, Because Judah and Israel had some really evil, vile kings. If you've read through some of these uh, books in the Old Testament, some really horrible, horrible human beings. Uh, But Uzziah, I mean, he wasn't amazing, but he did a pretty good job. He took the throne when he was 16 years old, not so bad, and he was a good king for 30 years until his death. Just um, to give some context, During Uzziah's reign in Judah, the sister nation, Israel, had six different kings during that time, most of which were evil human beings. Things were pretty good in Judah during Uzziah's reign. He was steady, he was predictable, and he more or less did his job, which was far more than people had come to expect at this point. So these were some pretty remarkable years for the kingdom of Judah. They were able to string together 30 consecutive years of relative peace and prosperity. Uzziah's approval ratings were through the roof. But now, at the very beginning of Isaiah's prophecy, this king who had kept Judah surprisingly safe and surprisingly viable for three decades is dead. And the question that is hovering over the entire nation is, now what? Now what are we going to do? What are we going to do now? Now how are we going to move forward in a new world, in an unfamiliar world, with unresolved tensions, now that everything is different than it used to be, now that the old reliable ways of doing life simply aren't going to work anymore, anymore, what are we going to do? Not to put too fine a point on it, but that seems like a pretty good set of questions for our situation. Now what? What are we going to do? 
in the year where we emerged from a global pandemic, Lord willing. In the year that we emerged from the most contentious presidential election in U.S. history. In the year where we all learned some pretty unfortunate things about ourselves and about the people that we love. Now what? If we're looking for good reasons to be anxious, there are plenty of them out there. There's our political climate. There's our social climate. There's our climate climate. There's conflict between friends and family. Um, uh, Misinformation campaigns on social media and in mainstream news. There's ongoing conflict between racial and ethnic groups abroad and locally. We could go on and on and on. What are we going to do now? Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year when everything was changing, in the year where the anxiety was palpable, in a season of fear and apprehension, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. And he was high. And he was exalted, and you should have seen it, the train of his robe. It filled the entire temple, and the whole earth was filled with his glory. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw something immovable. I saw something unchangeable. I saw something eternal. I saw a guaranteed future. I saw true north. Now, here's something I find interesting. What was it that that changed to make Isaiah see things differently? What was it that changed his perspective? Uh, What was the change that that brought all of his anxiety and all of his fear into, into perspective? Here's what it was. It was a very real experience with the presence and glory of God. Isaiah experienced the presence and the glory of God. Here's one thing that I've noticed lately in my life. I think that we are constantly in danger of treating God as though he were nothing more than a concept, that he were nothing more than an idea. I think we tend to treat God like he's something to either believe in or not believe in. Kind of like space aliens. (laughs) Or the Loch Ness Monster. I don't know, maybe you believe in one of those things, maybe you don't. But either way, I bet neither one of those things have a real impact on the way that you live your life. But this can't be the case with God. God can't just be a concept for us. He can't just be an idea for us. He can't just be something to be believed in or not. Because God is a power. He's a force. God is a bull in a china shop. He is weight. He is glory. He is impact. He is movement. God is a stiff wind. 
A stiff wind doesn't care if you believe in it or not. And if you're to put up your sail, you better look out. So notice, as soon as Isaiah realizes that he is in the very presence of the glory of God, God's presence begins to define Isaiah's situation. God's presence becomes the realest thing in Isaiah's life. Suddenly, it doesn't even matter anymore what year it is. 739 B.C., September 11, 2001, 2021. As soon as God's glory and presence is experienced, his presence begins to define every other reality. To experience God is to have your reality defined by God. (laughs) I might be... (laughs) More guilty of this than anybody else in this room. But too often, the reality of our circumstances becomes the most profound realities in our lives. We act as though I am my circumstances. I am hungry. That's me. I am busy. I'm content. Meh. Whatever. I'm crabby. I'm lonely. I'm desperate. I'm disappointed. But when King Uzziah dies, and when something really big happens, when our culture shifts, or when the world goes to war, or When you lose your job, or you lose your loved one, or you become deeply disappointed by someone or something in your life, those might be the best times to take a deep breath and to find ourselves in the throne room of God and to see the Lord on the throne, high and exalted, and to see the train of his robe filling the temple with glory. Those are the times perhaps above all other times, when we want to experience the glory and presence of God in our lives so that he can help make a change for us. When there needs to be a change for us. There definitely was a change for Isaiah here in the text. If your Bibles are still open, look at verse 5. Isaiah says... Woe to me, I cried. Woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Um, I've, I've made this point before when I was preaching on this text. According to the Jewish tradition, the prophet Isaiah was actually Jewish royalty. He might have even been related to King Uzziah. He was wealthy, and he was educated. And he was talented. And so experiencing God probably wasn't a perceived need for Isaiah at the time. He had a lot of privilege. He was kind of on top of things at the moment. But then when he suddenly finds himself in the presence and power of God's glory, he says, oh no, woe to me, woe to me. That kind of feels like a throwaway line for us, woe to me. It was, uh, in his time, explicitly a curse. He was pronouncing a curse on himself. So here's someone at the very top 
of the, in the, at the top rung of society who pronounces a curse on himself, putting himself on the lowest rung of society. And then after he curses himself, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. This is a guy in politics. Can you imagine a politician saying that and trying to run for re-election? I am a man of unclean lips. A man with a, a, a golden tongue in an oral culture claiming that his lips are unclean is to strip himself of any kind of political credibility. Do you see how the presence and the glory of God shakes Isaiah all the way to his core? It makes him question everything. It makes him question everything. Isaiah is undercutting himself until he doesn't have a leg to stand on. He's an elite person who has been cursed. He's a politician with unclean lips, and he belongs to a community of people with unclean lips. These are the things that Isaiah discovers when he finally experiences a holy and glorious God. So here's my question. How is this good news? <laughs> what help is this to us? What help was this to Isaiah? Why does God break down Isaiah so significantly in their first true encounter with one another? John Calvin, the great uh, Reformed theologian, in his Institutes, which is his, his greatest work, he begins his Institutes by saying, in essence, there are two things that you need to know in order to encounter the living holy God, and both of them will shake you to your core. First, you need to know who God is. And second, you need to understand who you are. And Calvin says, if you don't know who you are, then you can't know who God is. And if you don't know who God is, then you can't understand who you are. Now, I get that's kind of paradoxical and confusing and everything, um, but it's really quite significant. He says, if you don't know who you are, then you don't know who God is, and if you don't know who God is, then you don't know who you are. In our, in our text this morning, God is giving Isaiah and all of us a crash course in both of those things. And what we're learning, among other things, is that God is so much holier and so much greater and so much heavier and so much more overwhelming than we might assume. And we're learning that we are so much more dependent and so much more insecure and so much more needy than we might care to admit. But then comes the really surprising part of Isaiah chapter 6. If your Bibles are still open, look at verse 6. Isaiah says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it. And he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. 
Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Do you see what God has done to Isaiah? He's really done some work on him. (laughs) He's really changed his perspective on things. He's prepared Isaiah to do something wonderful. God has prepared Isaiah to be sent for something. And that's that's what this is all about. All of the glory All of the fire, all of the woe is me, all of the train and the robe and the temple and all of the glory, it's all serving a purpose. God was doing something in Isaiah to make him useful, to prepare his heart so that he could be sent. Now, see, we don't roll out of bed completely ready to be used as God's instruments in the world. We just don't. We don't wake up one morning totally ready to to accomplish the things that God has set in front of us. No, there's a lot of refining that has to be done. There's refining that has to be done in us. There's, 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 There's stuff in us that has to go away. And there's stuff in us that has to be grown. And there's a normal sequence in life through which God refines us. And here's how it goes. First, King Uzziah dies. First, something hard happens. First, our comfort is taken away. First, everything we thought we knew is proven untrue. First, we get challenged. And then, God overwhelms us with his grace. We have an unexpected encounter with God. And very often, it's completely different than any other encounter we've ever had with God before. And it's almost like he's, he's, he's approaching us in the opposite way that he had approached us in the past. And he's telling us to do things and be things and grow into things that we had never imagined he might ask us to grow into. And then we have a realization. I can't do this. (laughs) Or maybe more accurately, I don't want to do this. Woe is me. I am a person of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And then, there's grace again. And a seraph maybe someone sitting next to you, takes tongs and picks up a coal from the altar and walks it over and touches your lips and says, you might want to rethink that. You might want to have a little more faith in what the Spirit is asking you to do. You might want to rethink the sanctification happening in your heart. You might want to accept the challenge that the Holy Spirit is placing in front of you. And then finally, we're sent. Somewhere else. 
in a different context. Uzziah is dead. The familiar is gone. And the comfortable little places we had built for ourselves in our minds during his reign has crumbled. And it's something new. And it's something hard. And it's something challenging. And it's the place to which we have been sent. Welcome to ordinary time. This is how things work in ordinary time. This is how the Holy Spirit of God moves among us ordinarily. This is the normal sequence for how God continues to refine us. No one predicted that things would go this way. Not one of us. Your life is probably not panning out exactly the way that you thought it would. Perfect. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the whole earth was filled with his glory. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, in these ordinary times, send us in extraordinary ways. We thank you for your love for us, for your redemption of our hearts and souls, and for your minute-by-minute guidance and presence. We pray, Triune God, that as we step forward into every new unfamiliar minute, that we would be reminded that we are not a stagnant people, but that we are a sent people. That this is not a stationary church, but a missional church. Give us the courage, God, to ask the hard questions, even the ones we've been avoiding, to walk forward with faith and courage, knowing that you are on the throne. In your name we pray, amen.